0: Okay, so, um, unusual, you know, we're in unusual times, so instead of delivering the Yisker sermon on Yom Kippur in shul, being that everyone's wearing face masks and all, and to make it, you know, as easy as possible, so I'm pre-recording this Yisker sermon. What I ask of each and every one of you is not to listen to this sermon on Yom Kippur proper, it is prohibited to use digital or electric. Please listen to it before Yom Kippur or after Yom Kippur. Okay, so we're gonna first, you know, start off as an introduction, just a a joke I found. Three Jewish mothers are sitting on a bench, arguing over which one's son loves her the most. The first one says, you know, my son sends me flowers every Shabbat. The second one says, ah, you call that love. My son calls me every day. And the third woman says, ah, that's nothing. My son is in therapy five days a week and the whole time he talks about me. Why do I introduce this? Because Yisker is the moment on Yom Kippur in which we invite the souls of our departed parents into the synagogue to be with us in our moment before God. And I want to share with you that I actually heard this directly from the Rebbe of Righteous Memory, that the Rebbe explained when we say Yisker, we ask all the people who have parents who are alive till 120 should be well healthy and well uh, we ask them to leave the synagogue and you know why so i actually was standing by the fabringen and heard the rebbe explain that the reason is that our parents who are physically alive should not receive an evil eye why because the souls of the departed come down to stand next to their offspring they're gonna see that next to this person, there's no soul. Which means that that person's parent is not in the Garden of Eden. They're physically alive. Thus, there may be this tinge of jealousy. How come that parent gets to live and spend more time with their child and I don't? So the reason why all the people that have parents that are physically alive step out of the shul is because literally, the souls of the departed are coming into shul and we don't want, there should be any question of an evil eye from those souls to our parents who are, thank God, still alive and physically with us. So understanding this, I want to just explain that I actually once heard a different talk of the Rebbe of Righteous Memory, where the Rebbe was talking about the Passover Seder. And, and you can actually hear this on the recording, the Rebbe is crying he talks about how our custom is that before we say the manishtana, the four questions at the Passover Seder, we start with tate ich vil badir fregin fir Father, I want to ask by you four questions. And the Rebbe spoke about whether the souls of our parents that hear this in the Garden of Eden come down to the Seder table to be with us, to hear our questions. And then the Rebbe said, you know, to bring a soul down from the Garden of Eden to be with us is a huge thing, and we need to pay for it. The Rebbe spoke about that. And the Rebbe explained that we pay for it by doing something which will cause nachat ruach, which will cause a pleasure, a feeling of of, um, pleasure, you know, from their child. So, we do something that would give their soul pleasure. The point I'm making here is that saying Yisker and bringing our parents out of the Garden of Eden to be with us in our synagogue moment on Yom Kippur is a huge thing. And the question is, why do we do that? And the answer is, in order to understand this, we're going to need to understand another thing. What is parenthood really all about? So I'm going to get into the buzzword. The buzzword that we find today in our generations, we use this word a lot, children demand that they receive it from their parents, parents profess to give it to their children, and the buzzword of parenting is unconditional love unconditional love. And I put that in ear quote marks just because I'm about to explain that as in most concepts that are larger than life, we don't really wrap our head quite around what we actually mean. And the notion of a parental unconditional love is larger than life. That is what the very definition of unconditional love is. It's larger than anything. So what does this unconditional love mean? And the problem with trying to explain something so larger than life in an intimate way is it almost leaves this perverse taste of like when I was a child and wake up in the winter in New York and see that beautiful blanket of snow and there was that first guy who put his grubby shoe prints into that snow. So trying to break down what unconditional love of a parent to a child is, in biteable, digestible, practical terms, is something that's difficult. But the problem is that if we don't do that, then we're living in an illusion and delusion of receiving and giving something that we don't even know what it is to know if we really ever received it or if we really succeeded in giving it to our children. And thus, I want to share with you a story because what I'd like to say is that this buzzword, unconditional love, the reason why it's so important to be able to practically wrap our head around it is, because this is the primary purpose of a parent in a child's life, so that the child can experience unconditional love. Now I want to share with you why is that primary of a parent. So I want to share with you a story of my own upbringing. you know, when I brought up my, my children, my own parenting. You know, I had this conversation. I remember it clearly. I had this conversation. One of my children said, listen, you have a potential 7 billion friends. You only have one father. Don't confuse the two. Don't lose or redefine this one relationship with the potential 7 billion relationships. So what do I mean by that? What do I mean when I'm telling my child, you have two parents, one father, one mother, and don't turn them just into friends. You know, parents love saying, oh, my child is my best friend. No, that's not a good thing. A child should not be only your best friend because they can go out and find other best friends. What they can't go out and find is a mother or a father. So I want to share with you something that Michael Gerber writes in his book called E-Myth Revisited. Michael Gerber explains what the true definition of of an entrepreneur is. An entrepreneur is a person who fills every position in that company with someone else and reserves for himself only that which only he or she can do. And thus, he talks about how an entrepreneur is one that doesn't work in his business, but on his business. Thus, I'm saying that as a parent, it's not our primary job to do what other people can do. Our primary job is to do what only we can do. And what I'm suggesting here is that as we explore what unconditional love is, we're going to realize that only a parent and a child can experience this. Now, I want to say, there is all the Torah true, deep, beautiful insights into marriage. When King Solomon chose a metaphor for his relationship with God, he didn't pick parent-child. The entire book of songs is based upon the love of a man to his wife and a wife to his man, to her husband. And thus, why am I sharing that? No, there's something that exists only in that parent-child bond. And that is the most important thing for the parent to give the child, for the child to receive from the parent, because otherwise it doesn't exist in other relationships. So here is the biblical and practical fact Spouses can get divorced. Now, if that be so, which it is, then on a biological point, the only relationship that is unbreakable is that of a parent and a child, a child and a parent. Thus, if we're going to say that on the most practical level, the definition of a pair of unconditional love is, I will always be there for you. The only relationship which is unbreakable on a biological and emotional level is that of a parent of a child and a child, a child and a parent. There is no divorce, regardless of what courts say you can legally disown, not happening. When a parent passes away, or God forbid, a child passes away, regardless if you didn't talk to them for the last 20 years, you have to sit Shiva, you have to say Kaddish, because there is the depth of that relationship which is unbreakable. And thus, I want to share that that is what our Yisker moment is all about, to be able to receive that parental child, unconditional love, so that we can then experience Yom Kippur. Now, to understand this, I want to share something else. And the opening joke um, about, you know, spending all our time talking in uh, therapy about our parents, specifically our mother, you know, most clergy people, as well as therapists, will tell you that that's far from a joke. Parents, and yes, primarily the all-powerful Yiddish mama it's the mother, carries some of the deepest blockages and scripts in their child's life, way into the child's adulthood. And this is not just in the negative sense, but even more so in a positive sense. It has correctly been said, a child who has experienced the unconditional love of a mother will grow up to be a conqueror. Why? The answer is because in our life, our first higher power, so much so that our paradigm, understanding, and emotional relationship with God are all through the lenses of our relationship with our parent. Our understanding of God's unconditional love to us is a direct reflection of our experience of our parents' unconditional love to us. Being able to pray to God and our experience in praying to God is a direct effect of our experience in our asking of and our being answered by our parents in our childhood. Thus today, Yom Kipper, when we are asking God to forgive us, to bless us, and to care for us. The Yisker moment with our parents is crucial. And I want to be spoken. I don't want to leave this unspoken. So, here goes. Many of us grew up with dysfunctional and narcissist parents and the last person who we want to introduce into our Yom Kippur moment with God, is our parent. Okay, so allow me to speak to you about something very powerful, which may very well touch a raw nerve and solicit a negative reaction from you. And nevertheless, I do it with joy and hope, for if you are brave enough to deal with this, you can forgive and love me again later when the healing takes place. ACA is a recovery group that started originally for the adult children of alcoholics, ACA, ACOA. That's the population it started for. It's really simple. Ducks give birth to ducks. Dysfunctional parents rear dysfunctional children and hurt people hurt people. Regardless of how high functioning one may be, If one's response to their parents and their childhood, the pain, was to squash it down, my friends, remember that the background subconscious mind is controlling our most instinctive interpretations and reactions to everything and everyone that happens in our life. ACA has evolved into ACADF which stands for adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families. Many, many in the group have no alcoholism, alcoholics in their family, but they have the ism, the dysfunctional part. And I can say to each and every one of you about this, that if your relationship with your parents and yourself is blissful, healthy, and working for you, then God bless you and ignore everything I am saying in this brief moment. However, if it isn't, and your reservations are because of a stigma, disbelief, and discomfort with having anything to do with a 12-step recovery program, then I urge you to overcome the folly of contempt prior to investigation and allow for healing in your life. Back to our topic, how does ACA have anything what to do with Yisker? One of the things that we can truly accept, and only after much healing work has been done, can we accept this beyond lip service or intellectual property, and instead on an emotional flesh and blood level, is that our parents themselves are the product of the dysfunction that they were born into on a global level of anti-Semitism, World War II, the depression, replacement into foreign countries, and health and sometimes mental issues of their own parents. With this embracing of our parents' inner child, and I gotta say, I can hear it, oh no, Rabbi, did you actually just say that? I said it, inner child we learn to accept that our parents did the best they can and what with what they had. So how does this reflect our Yiska services? When we are inviting a dysfunctional parent to be with us, it is with the absolute knowledge that as a soul in heaven, our parents have shed, been cleansed, and are free from their own baggage and are thus free to truly love their child with pure, unconditional love. Now, our resentment to accept this unconditional love, which they now absolutely have for us, is something that we, the children, need to work out. And there is nothing that our parents can do for us presently to take all the pain they caused away from us, regardless of how much they presently want to. Because, This is our God-ordained life journey and not theirs. Well, there you have, have it. And now I descend from my soapbox and return to my pulpit. Okay, a parent's primary mission. I once heard the parent's primary mission summed up as follows, and I really liked it. The goal of a parent in their child's life is to make their position unnecessary in their child's life. In other words, if we did our job as a parent right, we have created a platform for our child to not be dependent upon us. And thus, the bittersweet reward of parenthood is to see our child take flight, and as they're flying away from the nest, you see them look back at you and say, don't worry, Dad, Mom, I got this. And you know that they will fall, and more than once, but you know that you have instilled within them the wherewithal to deal with, to learn, and to grow from disappointment in a healthy fashion. The big question that we are dealing here right now is, how do we do this for our children? And even more so, how do we receive this today from our parents? And from ourselves as we re-parent. Yeah, Oege I use that word as well, as we reparent ourselves. A gateway into understanding the one and only thing that a parent needs to impart for their child to experience unconditional love is a directive that the Rebbe of righteous and blessed memory gave to his shluchim I am a shliach of the Rebbe, and this is the, a very primary directive of the Rebbe. Your job is to connect the person to God and then to get out of the way. Now, let me tell you, the hard part of this directive is not the first part. It really isn't hard to connect a human with God, really. It's just revealing what's innately within every human. But the big challenge is the second part. Can we get out of the way? Now, this is especially difficult for a parent Because as a parent, I can tell you these are the questions screeching in our mind. How do we know that they will be okay? Digest it all okay? Be successful in their relationship with God and with self? Yes, a classical syndrome for Jewish parents is called Savior Complex, or it's also called White Knight Syndrome. And in the notes that I'll post, you have a link if you wanna look it up. The way to overcome this, is to know that you gave them what they need in order for you to truly believe them when they look at you and say, Dad, Mom, I got this. And for you fellow Pixar movie lovers, this is what Finding Nemo was ultimately all about. So the answer to unconditional love the type that grants your offspring with what we call aderech, provisions for the way, the journey of life, is connect them with their beingness instead of only with their doingness. And this secret lies in just a few lines of a teaching of Rabbi Shneer Zalman of Liadi, the Rebbe, in his mystical teachings on the high holidays. As an introduction to this teaching, I want to share with you a conversation I had with a marvelous young lady at the time. She was a very young girl. Her name is Sarah, Sarah Lang. God bless her. The daughter of Rabbi Jory Lang. Sarah asked me, Rabbi, which is your favorite prayer? To which I responded, the Shema. O Israel. God is our God. God is one. To which she looked at me and responded, Rabbi, the Shema isn't a prayer, but a declaration. Sarah was right. And now let us, use, let us see the mystical teaching, the mystical meaning within this ultimate Jewish declaration of faith. And I quote to you the teaching. Shema Yisrael, hear, O Israel. Everyone needs to say to their soul, hear, understand, you are Yisrael. Yisrael. The first step in our declaration of faith is not to talk about God, but to talk about ourselves. The Jew has two names in the Torah. One is Jacob and one is Israel. Now the name Yaakov, the, word, the Hebrew word in the Torah for Jacob, comes from the word Akhev, which means heel. You'll remember the story. They called him Yaakov because he was born holding on to the heel of Esau. This represents, mystically speaking, metaphorically speaking, when the soul is in a state of exile, sinning. However, the name Yisrael, the Hebrew name for Israel, refers to the two words hidden within the letters Yisrael, five letters, Yud, Shin, Resh, Aleph, Lamed, reorganize them, and you're going to have the words Li-Rosh, to me, capital M, God, to me, a head. The first thing, my friends, we need to establish in our declaration of faith in God is that we are from the depths, the essence of God. Only then, when we've identified ourselves as Lee Rush, a piece of God, then can we go on to speak about our faith in God. Okay, let's hear the screeching in our head again, the noise. But Alice, I'm no Yisro, I'm a Yaakov. I have sinned repeatedly. I have sunken into pursuit of wealth, fame, power, and pleasure. I don't pursue a relationship with God and his Torah ways of selflessness and spirituality. What does this mean? I should tell myself Yisrael. I'm not Yisrael. Thus, we turn to the words of our prophet Hosea, chapter 14, verse 2. And I quote, Shuvah Yisrael. We're going to read this this Shabbat in the Torah. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled in your iniquity. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why is the prophet saying, return, O Israel, and not return, O Jacob? According to what we explain, a person who, again, quote, for you have stumbled in your iniquity is a Jacob and not an Israel. The answer, my friends, is that even when we behave like and live in the realm of Jacob, we need a heel. We need to believe and to know that Shema Yisrael, that ultimately we are Israel, a divine being etched from and embedded within God's essence, the head. For if we are not ultimately Yisrael, then we can never achieve to return to God. Now, the practical question. Again, I want to go into the conversations of our head that hears it loves it, it's poetic, but doesn't believe it. So let's ask the question, but of what good is this believing and knowing that we are Israel when in fact our behavior proves otherwise, that in truth we are a fallen Jacob? The answer to this is found at the core of each and every one of the Rebbe's teachings. To quote the words of our sages, I quote you from the Talmud. When God explained to Joshua the reason for the Jewish people's defeat at the city of Ai, they were coming in and they were conquering Israel. Joshua took the Jews into the land of Israel and they were defeated by the city of Ai. And Joshua couldn't understand. This is God's telling us to conquer Israel. Why would he let us have defeat? So God said to him, and I quote you the verse from Joshua chapter 7, verse 11 Israel has sinned. The Talmud goes on to say, Rabbi Abba, the son of Zavda, great sage, says, From here it may be inferred that even when the Jewish people have sinned, they are still called Yisrael, not Jacob Hill, but Israel, head. Rabbi Abba, another sage, says, This is in accordance with the adage that people say, Even when a myrtle is found among thorns, its name is myrtle, and people call it myrtle. Now, what does this mean? Let's go on to another teaching. So, too, Rabbi Shneur Zalman of Liadi explains in Tanya chapter 24 concerning the soul, and I quote, which believes in one God and remains faithful to him even at the time when the sin is committed. Okay. But honestly, what lay behind all these teachings? I behave like Jacob I behave less than like a divine being, but no, I need to begin and say Shema Yisrael, Shuvah Yisrael, you are a divine being. Why? How? So I want to now draw your attention to a concept beautifully explained by a therapist, psychologist, PhD called John, I believe he's a PhD, John Bradshaw, in his book, Healing the Shame That Binds You. Links are provided in the notes. Bradshaw speaks about the fact that we are human beings and not human doings. Ultimately, the shame that binds us and doesn't allow for the return, O Israel, is when we identify ourselves by our doingness instead of by our beingness. And what what I am suggesting here is that the Yom Kippur Yisker experience is the experience of a parent's unconditional love to their child, is the message of beingness, which goes like this. Please, I want you to hear so that you can say it to yourself, say it to your children. This is the message of unconditional love, the message of beingness. It's just three words. You are enough. Now, many parents are afraid that if they tell their children that they are enough, it will mean that they are not doing enough, right? And, they then, and then they will stop growing and stop doing more. Mom said, I'm enough. And will therefore, God forbid, not grow up to be successful, a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant. What these parents fail to realize is that when a child only hears, you can do better, without simultaneously hearing the, you are enough. The children internalize that they have no intrinsic value as a person, but only as what they do and what they accomplish. Simultaneously, when they hear with this, what they do hear with this, when all they hear is you can do better, you can do better, defining them by their actions rather than by their being, what they also hear is, sadly so, I am bad, rather than I have done bad. Let's face it. Every human's going to make a mistake and do something bad. But if you never heard that you are enough, then you go and all you ever heard was define yourself as a human doing instead of a human being. Well, when the doing is bad, then what does that say? I am bad. Thus God tells Joshua, Israel has sinned. Not Jacob, not the heel. Even when they sin, Israel has sinned. The prophet tells us that even when for you have stumbled in your iniquities, nevertheless, shuva yisrael, not Yaakov, you return, O Israel, Israel from the word lirosh, the Talmud tells us that even when the Jewish people have sinned, they are still called Israel, not Jacob, not Heel. The Altareba tells us that even when we sin, our core beingness remains faithful to Him even at the time when the sin is committed. And now, my dear friends, Yisker Yom Kippur, and Shul, our parents come to us here on Yom Kippur, to shower upon us unconditional love with telling us, You are enough. That is the Yisker message. Something they may never have been able to tell us during their lifetimes. But now they tell us, You are enough. You are Yisrael, a head, etched from the beingness of God. You may have behaved like Yaakov, a cave, heel. But that was your behaviors, your doing this. Yom Kippur is about getting in touch with your beingness. In closing, my friends, we first find in John Hedwood's proverb collection of 1546 the idiom you can bring a horse to the water, but you can't make it drink. And so it is in our stubbornness, driven by old hurts. I'm not judging not even myself when I struggle to hear this, that will block us from being able to hear from the soul of our parent, whether he or she are coming from the garden of Eden, Eden, whether they are sitting physically right next to us in the synagogue and their souls are trying to tell us what they can't, or whether they live in a different zip code than ours, their soul is telling us, my child, you are enough. Yom Kippur is a time of forgiveness, a time of healing, a time to accept that our beingness is but truly a piece of God above. And being a piece of God is enough. The soul of our parent is praying that we can hear this from them and feel this from them. Yom Kippur is our personal journey, no one else's, not even our parents. Us and us alone, must be willing to hear from this well of truth, the well of our beingness. Gmar Khatimat Tova.